Lord, we just thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for showing us. You didn't need to prove that you were Almighty God because you are Almighty God. But thank you for humbling yourself and making yourself vulnerable, even submitting unto the death of the cross so that you could show us your Almighty God. I thank you, Lord, that your life be made manifest in this place, that your name be declared in people's hearts, that people's hearts be delivered and set free from fear, from anxiety, from lack, that they be filled with life, that they find themselves bearing your fruit, Lord. Lord, we, everyone in this room, everyone listening, everyone that will hear this message desires to be fruitful. Lord, we just commit our desire to be fruitful into your hands. We don't want the fruit that we can get from the world. We've seen that kind of fruit. It can go rotten. Lord, we desire to bear your fruit, and we just thank you that you're here with us. You're here through this word, fathering your life in us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Um, you know, our, our faith is in the Father. That, that's really what our faith is. When you look at Jesus, what was his faith? It was the Father, right? And so we say we believe in the resurrection and we believe on the cross. And those things are true. But those things are revealing the Father. Because Jesus didn't have a cross or a resurrection yet. And yet he was believing something that raised him from the dead. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Once death entered the earth and it found an opportunity to physically manifest in our bodies, there had to be a, a physical death and there had to be a physical resurrection. But we don't want to lose sight of what it is we're believing. What is this faith that we're even talking about? Our faith is in the Father. And you can even say our faith is the Father. Our faith is the Father. And even just that kind of statement about faith. I see people looking around, trying to grasp onto that thought. What does that mean? That's my whole point. Even just that thought, our faith is the Father. It changes up the dynamic of our relationship with faith. Because what it does is it causes you to get caught up in this thing and thinking, well, what does that mean? And next thing you know, you're inquiring with God. And you're, you're wanting to know, what does it mean that He's our faith, right? And what happens then is your life of faith becomes one where you're beholding the Father in everything that Jesus revealed about His face. And you're seeing that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is about manifesting the Father, revealing the Father in your heart. And so then you begin walking around this, in this earth and your faith is the Father Himself. And that's when it becomes deeply personal. And not just that you're believing for this or you're believing for that or you're believing for this kind of a thing. Now you're walking around having an intimate relationship with this person on account of you coming to the truth that your faith is the Father. Your faith is in this person, right? And now your life of faith, it, it, it entails walking and talking with the Father. Learning about the Father, beholding the beauty of the Father's heart, beholding the beauty that the Father sees in you. The reason we believe on the Father for the blessing of life, instead of the works of our hands, instead of the, the works of the law, 
in, instead of the good fruit we can produce or the good we can gain from the world. The reason we believe on the Father for the blessing of life is because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's what, that's what it's supposed to do. It's actually supposed to bring forth faith in your heart towards the Father on account of you beholding the Father inside of Him having raised this man Jesus from the dead. You see me starting to get all... so hard to talk about the resurrection without like it manifesting in you. Yeah, I might not get through the whole thing. Jesus, Jesus believed on the goodness of God towards his life when he was on the cross. Always when he was on the cross. He believed that. Jesus believed Jesus, when I say believed, he didn't drum it up himself. He was persuaded, which is what believe means. It means to be persuaded, right? You notice even just saying it that way puts the onus on another person to persuade you. And then you start looking to them. Well, what do you have to say then to persuade me? And now you start asking. Jesus was persuaded that the father's heart was filled with the care of his life. That's what he was persuaded of. This guy's heart ain't filled with taking care of his own bushes or his own trees or his own house. This guy's heart is filled with the care of my life. And that faith raised Jesus from the dead, overcoming death in his flesh. And so the resurrection, the resurrection is the evidence that the faith we're believing on it's full of power to serve us with life. That's what, it, that's what it is. So you could say, I believe I'll be raised from the dead. And you could say, my faith is in the resurrection. But the more accurate statement is, I'm believing on the Father. You want to know why I'm believing on the Father? Because I see that He raised Jesus from the dead. Right? That's what we're saying. And we would never want our theological prowess to strip that beautiful picture of the father right and so god uses the resurrection to draw us to himself that's what he's doing he's using the resurrection to draw us to himself you guys ever played the game or see somebody play the game where they have something in their hand and they put their hand behind their back and they say pick which hand and you get what's in the hand right well, the resurrection is God showing you what's in his hand. His, his hand ain't behind and you trying to guess. It's not like, well, what's in his hand? I mean, do I want to pick a hand? The resurrection is God showing you that the only thing he has in his hand to give anyone is the reward of his life. And he does that so that you call upon his name and come to Him. That's why He does it. That's what He's trying to do through the resurrection. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4. He says that Jesus ascended on high, uh, leading captivity captive. He led captivity captive when He ascended on high. 
the captivity that we were in was from death. That's the captivity that we were in. Death held us captive, right? We were held captive to a life of labors and being annoyed. You ever felt annoyed? Listen, I was annoyed when I started getting that pinched nerve in the middle of the night. Like I said to everybody, I told the Lord, really? What else? You know, when you feel annoyed, you feel annoyed because you think you don't have something you need for life or that something is far away from you. Otherwise, you wouldn't feel annoyed. (laughs) Something's not consistent with life, and it's been presented to you. And so death held us captive. We were in captivity to a life of labors and annoyances, trying to gather the peace and the justice and the justification and the satisfaction we desire to ourselves. What do you guys see? The I mean, can everybody agree that the world is like in angst and turmoil right now? It doesn't matter which side you're on or which side you agree with. Do any of the sides look like they have peace? Okay. Do you know why it's that way? Because they're full of labors and annoyances. And you see what they're trying to do is they're captive to the death that's in the world, and they're trying to gather justice and peace and satisfaction to themselves. And the first sign that a person is in captivity, in bondage, trying to gather life to themselves, is if they're filled with anger and hatred towards another person. That's the first sign that what they're busy with is not the truth. Because the truth won't produce that in, in you. Hebrews 2 says it this way. We were all our days in bondage through the fear of death. Now you can say a whole bunch of things about these things, so please bear with me. Right? The fear of death isn't only about being afraid to die. That's not the only thing that the fear of death is talking about. It's not only being afraid to die, and because, of what I, and because I'm afraid of not having what I need for life, that leaves me in bondage. That's, that's not the only thing it's about. That's part of it, but there's another component going on there. I mean, think about it. Why would I be afraid of death if I know that I can call out to God and He will heal me? I mean, let death be here, right? Fear can't come to me if I know God is here and I can call out to Him and He's going to give me life. So it's not just about being afraid of death. There was something else in there that was causing a chasm or a stumbling block to us calling out to God, right? Because if I see God is there with me and I see God has everything I need for life in His hand stretched forth towards me and open to me, death would never make me afraid. It would never make me afraid. What's interesting is that verse is used in the letter to the Hebrews. I know it's difficult to read something in verse 2, and I say this a lot, and I'll say it for the rest of my life. It's difficult to read something in verse 2 and remember it when you get to verse 10. But verse 2 is not said without taking into account chapter 10, not verse 10, chapter 10. Neither is chapter 10 said without taking into account what was said in chapter 2. And so the fear of death 
If you look in the context of the letter to the Hebrews, it talks about us coming to God. It talks about us coming into the presence of God. And it talks about something that was keeping us from calling upon the name of the Lord. It talks about something that was keeping us from coming to God when we needed life. And so that's what it's talking about there when it talks about the fear of death. And so in the context of the letter to the Hebrews, the fear of death is connected to thinking there's punishment waiting for me with God should I come to Him. You could even say it this way. There's the fear that will come upon me when I behold myself clothed in death because I think that I'm in affliction to God. And should I come to him in that state, he's got punishment in his hand waiting for me because he despises me. Right? That's, that's the context of the, the fear of death there. That's why it talks about the veil in, in Hebrews chapter 10 being torn. Yes, there was a physical veil that was torn, but there's a veil in man's heart that was there, that the physical veil in the temple was saying something about. And so that's what, why the fear of death left, left us in bondage. You, you can look in the Jewish oral tradition, right? And you know one of the things they, they say that they did for a period of time? They probably didn't do it in every period of time because you have several different exiles, several different uh, bondages and, and things. And so tradition can adjust a little bit or grow. But you know one of the things that is written in the oral tradition that the Jewish people did with the high priest on the day of atonement when he would go into the presence of God behind the veil you know one of the things they did? They tied a rope around his leg because they didn't know if when he got there he was going to die. And the whole idea was, well, we know we're good if this guy comes back out. But if he don't come back out, we don't know. And so one of the things they did was they tie a rope around his leg lest he don't come back out and they pull him out and see he's dead. Well, you only did that because you were afraid this guy might die in the presence of God. And if you were afraid this guy might die in the presence of God, I gotta calm down again. I start getting pitchy. That meant there was a thought we're unclean, our flesh is filthy, we're defiled. If this guy doesn't get it right to cleanse himself properly before going in there, there's going to be punishment for him from the hand of God. Right? That's what it's talking about. It's talking about the fear of death. The bondage that comes from the fear of death is that you're working hard to clothe yourself in justice, in peace. Why didn't Jesus try to find his own justice? You ever wonder why Jesus didn't labor and try to save himself? He needed justice. In fact, listen, we could take all of our injustices combined, and I am not flippant about your hurt. I have hurt too. But man, none of our injustices is greater than each other's, and neither are any of them greater than the injustice that manifested in Jesus. 
Why didn't he fight for his justice? Why didn't he get his followers to fight for his justice? Why, when Peter tried to fight, did Jesus put his sword down and put that guy's ear back on? He didn't rejoice that the guy's ear had been cut off, even though the guy was his enemy. So the bondage that comes from the fear of death is you're working hard to clothe yourself in things like justice and peace and life. The reason you're doing it is because you think God's hand, you think what's waiting for you in God's hand is a spanking should you come to Him, not a reward. You don't think you can get the peace and the justice and the justification you need from God. And you think what you'll get instead, should you come to Him, is punishment. Because after all, look at me. I remember when I go down to Mardi Gras Day every year to minister Jesus. I, and I don't go down there like a zealot, right, with, with accosting people. You got to believe, brother. I go down there by myself. I used to argue with the legalists who would condemn everybody. I saw that was unfruitful. And so this other year, this last time that I went down there by myself, there was eight or nine guys struggling with homosexuality. And they weren't wearing anything but fluorescent weenie bikinis. That's like tidy whities for you, those of you who don't know. I was on a swim team growing up. And that's what we called the bathing suits we wore to try to get through the water quick, right? And the, these guys, they, they had pink fluorescent green mohawks. They didn't have shoes on, nothing, no shirts, just the tidy whities but fluorescent colors. And they had loudspeakers, and they were drowning out. Because every year the legalists do a parade of hate down Bourbon Street and condemn everybody. And these guys decided this year, we forbid that kind of a thing. They were smart. I was like, these, it was actually working to drown it out. But they were just in their loudspeaker, na, 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 all eight of them, just drowning out the, 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 the legalist loudspeaker. I went and grabbed the guy that looked like the ringleader. I was like, this is my moment. I know it was the Holy Spirit. I grabbed that guy, and it was like time stood still in that moment. I grabbed that guy by the arm, and I pulled his head down. He's a tall dude. Some of those legals better watch out. Some of these dudes will whip their butts. I said, Jesus would be hanging out with you. And you should have seen his face. He looked at me in the eye, and his face looked like that. And then, I'll never forget, that wasn't it. He looked at himself and looked at me. As if to say, do you see my filthiness? Do you see how unclean and defiled I am? And you're going to say that? Right? You see, that's what we thought. That's what people thought they would get from God. That's what they felt God thought of them. Should they actually come to him when they need something? Because after all, look at me. Right? The Seinfeld with Kramer when he was smoking. And he felt bad for the smokers out on the street. It was, it was around the time. Some of you, most of us are old enough to remember this. Some of us aren't. But you used to be able to smoke everywhere. Inside of the bars, everywhere. Well, in New York, they started, you can't smoke inside no more. 
And so they're all out in the street. And Kramer felt bad for those people. So he turned his house into a smoking bar. Well, you can only imagine if you let people smoke in your house 24-7 and you're in there sleeping and eating and living. Well, eventually his face turns all leathery. Oh, man, I got to try not to laugh. And Jerry's like, look at you. And Kramer goes and looks in his reflection. And he's, look away, I'm hideous. That's the kind of thing that, that, that was in people's minds because they were clothed in a body of death, a body of corruption. They thought God thought they were hideous. And so they didn't think they could come to God for when they needed justice. Because we're all going to need justice. I mean, we need eternal justice, but we're going to need to be ministered justice in a lot of individual moments in our lives in this world. And if you don't know or you don't think, you could come looking to God for that. And justice don't just look like liberty from what somebody else is doing to you. I mean, you could have been believing a lie in your life that's producing the fruit of death. I know we don't like to understand this, but should somebody have the works of the flesh in their life? Guess what? They're being abused by that. And they're in need of justice from that. We confuse it coming out of them as if that's good for them. It's not good for them. It's even wanting to destroy their life, and they're in need of justice. But if we think we're hideous to God and that there's punishment in His hand waiting for us should we come to Him or call out to Him, we ain't coming. We're trying to clothe ourselves, right? And that leaves you working to gather justice and satisfaction to yourself. Does that make sense? You know, the ancient Hebrews in the Exodus, it's a great example. They were in bondage because of the fear of punishment. That there would be punishment. The fear, Yeah, the fear of death, but that death was punishment. Right? And so they were held captive to a life of laboring and toiling, thinking that if they didn't build a house for Pharaoh, he would punish them with death. Right? And see, what we don't understand about the fear of death for mankind is we kind of confuse God with Pharaoh, right? And so what happened, guys, in Adam? What happened with Adam? That's when it, I just love developing the gospel because I find as people understand the gospel, it gets rid of all the perversions and the lies. But Because I don't think many people even understand how things went down. Why does there even need to be a gospel? What actually happened? What effect like Marie said, is it supposed to have in my life? How does this thing work and minister in my life? What happened with Adam is there was a fear of punishment in the presence of God. After he ate and he, his, his conscience was filled with his nakedness. Look away, I'm hideous. That's Adam. And so he was filled with the fear that God, there was punishment waiting for him with God. That's why he didn't come running to God. You know what I'm doing today? If, if, my, if sin uncovers my nakedness and manifests death in my body, do you know what I'm doing today? Father. That's not what Adam thought he could do. He had a fear that there was punishment for him with God. That's why he hid from God instead of calling out to God when he needed to be clothed. And listen, I think we all understand that kind of dynamic. I know when I was a little boy, my dad would go off to work all day. And if I misbehaved at home, and sometimes I did, because my dear sweet mother, don't take this wrong, Mom, my dear sweet mother was so concerned with us feeling loved that she didn't really want to discipline us. 
And we knew. You see? Now, there would be times where she'd be like, Popeye, I've had all I can stand. I can't. And then we'd see mom pop. And we'd be like, ooh. But, but mostly, man, she, she, we, so we, we would kind of push and be disrespectful. As little kids, not knowing, not intently trying to disrespect our mom. But listen, man, if I had misbehaved that day, you know what I wasn't doing when my dad came home from work? I, you're right about that. In, in the context of what I'm saying about Adam, I wasn't running to the door to see Daddy. I was not looking forward to seeing Daddy that day. You know why I wasn't looking forward to seeing Daddy that day? Because I knew there was punishment waiting for me. Because my dad didn't have the same upbringing as my mother. And so he didn't have this uh, worldly anti-Christ spirit working against my mom disciplining us. My dad loved our, knew that loving our lives looked like him letting us be upset with him for the sake of him disciplining us. And so if we misbehaved, we knew there was a spanking waiting. And so when he came home, we, we're nowhere to be found. We ain't, where's dad? Did you have a good day, dad? No, we're like hiding, just like Adam. Franklin D. Roosevelt famously said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. There, there wasn't anything to be afraid of in the presence of God other than fear itself. There was nothing in God that we should actually be afraid of. The only thing that was there that could work death in us was actually fear itself, not God. He doesn't possess the ability to harm us. So in one sense, we could say the fear is real because a person's heart could work so much fear in them that when they stood face to face with God, that fear would work death in them, right? That's what would actually happen to the high priest in the presence of God. It wasn't that God was judging them as unclean if they didn't go through the whole thing. This messes people up because of our penal substitution background. We think all of those things the high priest did was so that he could be approved of by God. It was so his conscience could be cleansed in the presence of God. It was about all the washings, all the blood, all those things was about this guy's conscience being cleansed from his body of death. So that when he got into the presence of God, the accusation or the evil one couldn't work fear or condemnation in him, and that fear worked death in him. And so the fear was real because death could be worked in a person through fear, but in the sense of being afraid of God, there was no reason to be afraid of God. It was never God who would accuse our hearts. It wasn't God who would uncover our nakedness. It wasn't God who stood opposed to us. It wasn't God working fear and condemnation in us. You might think, how can that be? Well, 1 John says God is love and there's no fear in God. And so Adam was afraid of God because of sin in the body of death it clothed him in. But even after he hid from God, when God showed up, 
What did God have in his hand for him? Did God say, I got punishment in this hand and life in this hand? Pick. What did God actually have in his hand when he came searching out Adam? The reward of his life. His lamb. He, even after sin uncovered Adam's nakedness, God still had a reward in his hand for Adam. Because God clothed Adam, didn't he? So even then, what did God have in his hand to give man? Reward of life. You see that? And so guys, the resurrection of Jesus is God not willing. You could say it's God coming to you. I wouldn't argue with somebody explaining it that way, because that could be true. But the way God comes to you is by drawing you to himself. The resurrection of Jesus is God drawing us to himself so that he could serve us with life, right? Jesus was drawn to the Father when he was naked on the cross. That's what calling upon the name of the Lord is. When we talk about coming into the presence of God as depicted in the earthly tabernacle, Jesus came into the presence of God when he said, Father, into your hands. That's what it means to come into the holiest place. You're calling out to God. And so Jesus, he was drawn to the Father when he was on the cross because his conscience wasn't stained by the body of death he was clothed in. He didn't think he was hideous to God. He didn't think that this corruption that was manifesting in his life was a sign that God would despise him should he come into his presence. He saw that God wouldn't be ashamed of him. He saw the Father wasn't ashamed of him when he was on that cross. He saw there was nothing. Jesus saw on the cross there's nothing in the Father to be afraid of. There's no God. There's no trickery. There's no deceit. I mean, what did the guy, the, the coach said? They are who we thought they were. Well, Jesus is like, there's no trickery in this dude, the Father. I mean, the Father has life in himself. It doesn't say the Father has life and death in himself. It says the Father has life in himself. We see that because when the Father emptied himself, what came forth was life. And so Jesus saw there was nothing to be afraid of in God. He saw there was a reward waiting for him, not punishment. That's why he cried out to the Father on the cross. He's busy tearing the veil. And not just a physical veil. He's busy breaking down the veil that was in our heart that is the body of death. Jesus didn't have that veil in his heart. And so that's why he cried out to the Father on the cross. He said, there's a reward waiting for me. And what happened is, in Jesus crying out to the Father, in Jesus coming to the Father, do you know what the Father could do? Raise Jesus from the dead. And yes, it's a beautiful historic event that he raised Jesus from the dead. Do not misinterpret what I'm about to say. But the power in God, the Father, coming and now raising Jesus from the dead because Jesus didn't have the fear or the shame from the body of death is that now God could make flesh the word, the reward that he had in his hand for all people when he raised Jesus from the dead and he could take his hand and he could open it and show everybody in the world there's never been punishment waiting for you in my hand. There's always only ever been the reward of my life. That's the resurrection. That's God showing you this is what's in my hand for you. 
Well, see, God couldn't do that unless there could be a man who could take on the body of death because that was the veil in our heart. We, had to see, we didn't need to see God give a righteous dude the reward of life. Our idea of righteous, we needed to see, if you guys forgive me, we needed to see, that's why he was a spotless lamb. That's why you have to be without spot or blemish if you're a lamb because you can't take somebody else's spots onto yourself if you got your own. So we needed to see a guy who had my sin and my death, my body of death. We had to see what God had to give that guy so that it could tell me what he has to give me. Right? And what we see in the resurrection of Jesus is God tearing the veil of our heart, God interceding in our heart by showing us this is the reward I have in my hand to give you even should sin uncover your nakedness. Right? God wanted to make flesh the reward he had in his hand for all people. And in doing that, what would happen is he could purge our conscience from the body of death that was filling us with fear at the thought of coming to him. Right? You see how the Father doth work. We're talking about the work of the Father. We're talking about the Father romancing our stony heart. Romancing the stone. You guys remember that movie? The resurrection is the Father romancing our hearts by showing us the reward that He has to give us even in light of our body of death so that our hearts can be purged from the body of death. The veil in our heart could be torn. Fear could be cast out of us. Our hearts could be purified from fear, as First John would say. And then we would find ourselves being called out of death into life by the Father Himself, calling us to Him by showing us there's a reward of life in His hand for us. Does that make any sense? There's still part of me that's carnal. I'm not afraid to admit that. Some of you are like, what? You stupid. Because even as I sit here saying all this, inside of myself I can feel this is powerful. But you know I hear the voice telling me, but if you didn't have to talk so calmly and softly, you could just let it be born in you. It'd be so much more powerful. Are you not yet carnal? If you think like that. <laughs> oh, man. Glory to God. Hebrews, we're almost done. Isn't that amazing? I thought if I talked slow, we'd be here for two hours. Hebrews chapter 10. This is what, this is what, what I just described is leading into what Hebrews is trying to express to you guys. I'll, listen, the scriptures are beautiful, guys. Right? You, there's nothing wrong with you reading the scriptures. It's good to read the scriptures. If you feel that you struggle to understand the scriptures, this is what I would encourage you to do. If you're listening to people like me, or you listen to people like Batterty, right? Or you listen to people like Phelim, or people like Jared when they preach. If you think you struggle to extract from the scriptures, or people like Matt and Annette, whoever, everyone who preaches up here, Maurice. If you think you're struggling to extract from the scriptures, write down the verses that people preach about, and let your scripture reading be those verses, right? And let become ingrained in you 
what was taught from those verses because you'll start the puzzle will start getting put together for you. You don't have to. God doesn't judge you, right? But it's a nice thing when the scriptures can start being pieced together for you. Hebrews 10, 19, listen to what he says. Having therefore, brethren, boldness. Is that what we were talking about? There was a timidity to come into the presence of God. Now the author of Hebrews, that's the fear of death. He says, now, no longer having the fear of death or the fear there's punishment waiting for us when we get into the presence of God, but now having boldness to enter into the holiest place. The holiest place is the presence of God. Now having boldness to enter into that place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, and now having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. He's talking about calling upon the name of the Lord. When? When you're in your time of need. When's your time of need? When you're suffering injustice. When you feel annoyed. When you feel like you don't have what you need for life. When you feel like you don't have the respect or the love. When you feel that's your time of need. Now we draw near because we see there's a reward waiting for us in the hand of God when we come to Him. We draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having had our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And look what he says, and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice how he talks about the body being washed. Well, we just read that, and we're like Gentile people, and we're like, hallelujah, I need a cleansing. And that, that's okay if you think that, but he's writing to Hebrews, and he's referencing the washings of the body that the high priest under the law went through. And that high priest, listen, man, he would do all sorts of ritualistic cleansings using the blood of the lamb. And then at, at, at one point after he offered the lamb and sprinkled the blood everywhere and sprinkled it on himself and everywhere. Listen, man, there was a time where he would come out and he would get into this bronze laver. And this big bronze laver was like a big tub. Bronze tubs are nice. Becky and I stayed somewhere in, is it Rowlett? No, not Rowlett. It's this park this earthy bronze tub. Bronze tubs are nice. Well, they would get in the bronze laver and they would be washed. And the idea was that their body was being washed from the filthiness of the flesh. The filthiness of the flesh is the body of death or the body of corruption. And like I already said, that washing was for the purpose of the high priest's conscience being cleansed from the death he saw in himself because there's no death in God, there's only life. And if I come into the presence of God with death and there's only life in him, there's going to be a gigantic inequality created in my heart. And the scale of my heart that judges me is going to judge me as evil instead of seeing that I'm the same as God when I get in the presence of God. That washing was about that. And so look what the author of Hebrews says. He says, oh, listen, man, there's a different way, a living way that draws us now into the presence of God with boldness. None of you are tying a leg around my leg when I tell you that I'm going to go pray and call upon the name of the Lord because none of you think that there's death waiting for me. There's a new and living way that's been consecrated through his flesh. And not just the body of his death, the body of his death and his resurrection. That's why it's called a new and a living way. That new and a living way, it consecrated Jesus being a high priest over the house of God, over the presence of God, the place where God dwells, right? Jesus being that high priest 
having consecrated a new and living way, right? Cleansing our evil conscience. An evil conscience does not mean that you are evil like we think of bad people. An evil conscience is a conscience that's filled with fear at the thought of standing before God because their mind has been filled with the death and the corruption they see in themselves. That's an evil conscience. Well, we've now had our conscience cleansed from that fear. Do you know why? Because we saw the blood run out of the body of death that was all the time filling us with fear. The life force that was in the body of death, the power the body of death had to condemn us in the presence of God has now run out of it when Jesus in the body of death shed his own blood. And now our conscience is purged from the body of death. And now as our conscience is purged by the body of death, the veil's been torn. And now we see the veil torn and we're like, what? Like I can, I can almost kind of see in there. But I, I don't know. Can I come in there? I don't feel fear anymore. But I, do I belong in there? Well, here comes the new and living way. Because the reason, the reason you come with boldness isn't just because you see the blood run out of the body of death. It's because you see the glorified flesh of the man Jesus seated at the right hand of God. And what that tells you is it's a manifestation. That's why it's the right hand of God. Jesus is the right arm of God. It's, you don't just see a man seated there at the right hand of God. You see that that is God's right hand and you see that's the reward he has in his hand to give you should you come to him. That's the whole point of seeing Jesus there. It's supposed to tell you, this is what I got for you. You guys see that? An evil conscience is one that thinks, I must sanctify myself from my filthiness. I must perfect my own life so that I can be presentable. Anybody ever went somewhere and think, I'm not presentable? Listen, man. I've been sick for like a month. That's never happened in my whole life. You know what I didn't do for a month? I didn't shave my head. I didn't shave my face. You know what I looked like? I mean, I'm sure I was fine, but to me, I didn't know if I was presentable. <laughs> An evil conscience is one that says, I'm not presentable and I'm going to go into God's house. I better get busy cleaning myself up. Well, now we've been washed with the word of God's life. We've been washed by the word, by the body of Jesus' death and the body of his resurrection. We see the blood run out of the body of death. We see the death of the body of death, right? And we see what God brings forth in his hand by the resurrected Jesus Christ, right? That tails the veil in our hearts. There's no longer a veil in our hearts. Listen, there was a physical veil in the temple. But the temple, the physical veil there, was alluding to our hearts. That's what it was alluding to. I know we know this verse famously, but Paul said, Know ye not that you are the temple of God? And so that veil there that Hebrews is talking about, it's using the physical veil as a reference to the veil of our hearts. That's why it talks about our conscience being purged. The veil was in there, and our, the veil had to be torn for us to come into the presence of God, right? The conscience of mankind. 
was stained with the body of death. It was stained with the body of corruption that came by Adam, that came into existence through Adam. That body of death was the veil. That's what it was, right? It was the veil in our hearts. Remember, guys, I know that we might not think about this because we have natural eyes and we think we see with our natural eyes. And you can see some things with our natural eyes. But listen, the Pharisees all had working natural eyes and Jesus called them blind. And so we don't really see with our eyes. We actually see with our hearts. That's why you can have two people live through the exact same event in the exact same place at the exact same time, but they'll come and describe it completely different. How is that? And so the veil in our hearts was torn through the flesh of Jesus, torn through his death, through the body of his resurrection. This body of death you were so stressed out about, behold the life force running out of it. Behold the ability for this body of death to fill you with fear. Behold that strength running out. That's what it does. It purges our conscience from death. We see the blood running out of Jesus, and it purges our conscience from the body of death that was filling us with fear and shame, that was keeping us from coming to God. We see Jesus at the right hand of God. We see that's his right hand. We see the only thing the Father has in his hand to give us when we come to him, when we call out to him, is the reward of his life. That's the assurance of faith that that scripture talks about. That's the assurance of faith. It's the assurance that the Father has life in his hand to give us. I mean, Hebrew says, looking unto Jesus, the beginning and end of this faith. The, this faith that gives you what? It gives you an assurance. It gives you an assurance of what? Life. How does it give you an assurance of life? Because it gives you an assurance that if you call upon the name of God, this life, the life that he has, what he has in his hand to give you is what manifested in the resurrected, glorified man, Jesus. That's why it says, looking unto Jesus. And that gives you an assurance that when I come into the presence of God, it gives you an assurance that when I call upon the name of the Lord, I've got a certainty he's going to give me life. He's going to clothe me in life. He's going to manifest life in me. That's the assurance faith gives you. That's why you have boldness to come. Like Jill, man. God bless Jill. Jill's like our resident doctor. You know, I called Jill a lot to ask her about what to make of my symptoms. Because I'm one of these people that don't go to the doctor. But I don't want to not go to my detriment. Right? So if something is like real wrong and I need to go, I want to ask somebody, well, I have an assurance in Jill that I can call her and tell her what's going on and she's going to give me the right answer. Right? She's going to tell me whether, all I need is, do I, should I go to the doctor or not? Right? And, she, and you know, Jill has, she's got a steady hand. She's like cool hand Luke. When I sliced open my face and everybody's like, you got to go to the emergency room. Jill came and was like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> and so I'm bleeding out everywhere. You can see the white, you know, from my bone. She's like, no, we good. You good, bro? I was like, all right. But man, when I come home from the, emer the emergency room or the urgent care and she stopped by and they injected me with all these things, she took my blood pressure and it was like 169 over 110. And she looked at me and she was like, that's heart attack area, buddy. 
And I could see on her face, right? Cool Hand Luke was like giving it to me straight. That's not good. <laughs> we got to do something about that. That's the assurance of faith. That is, that's what it's talking about. We, again, the word faith has been hijacked. And we think the assurance of what I believe. And I do believe what was revealed in the faith. But the faith is the substance of the life that God has to give us. The substance of what God has in his hand to give us isn't hidden anymore. And we know certainly it isn't punishment because we see the substance of what God has to give us in the resurrected, glorified man, Jesus. And that gives me an assurance that when I call upon the name of the Lord, life is coming forth. Right? That's the new and living way. That's how Jesus consecrated a way for us to come to the Father. Jesus' whole ministry is consecrating a way for us to go to the Father. Well, he couldn't captain that which could save us unless he first did the same thing. And he had to see there was a reward in the Father so that he could call upon the name of the Father when he was clothed in the body of death. And then the reward the Father always had in his hand to give could come shining forth. That's the faith, right? And then we could see the substance that's in the Father to give us in the word or in the flesh of Jesus. And that gives us an assurance that when we get to God, there's life coming to us. That's why you have to have faith to be saved. You don't have to have your own ability to believe. But you got to have Jesus in you, this faith. Otherwise, you ain't coming to God when he shows up. And he's coming. He's coming to remove death. And if you don't have the faith of our Lord in you, you ain't coming to him when he comes because you're still thinking there's punishment. And you ain't coming to God if you think there's punishment waiting for you. That's why we preach. No, there's nothing to be afraid of in God. But it was never God that was ever killing people. It was the fear in our own hearts. And how can a person be saved if they don't have the fear that was in their hearts plucked out? And how can they have the fear plucked out unless they believe on the faith that was revealed in Jesus? They can't. doesn't matter how much the Father grieves over them perishing. He can't give them life if they don't come. Well, God would never do that. He would never let it. You're right, he wouldn't. The problem is we're involved. Does that make sense? That's what it means that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. The ever liveth is he's got an endless life. The endless life is an indestructible life when you look at it in the Greek. That indestructible life intercedes in our hearts because it shows us God has a reward to give us and not punishment. That's why his indestructible life intercedeth in our hearts. That's what it's talking about. Right? Jesus ain't interceding to God. If Jesus is interceding to God, who interceded to God for Jesus? We don't think about the things we say, and then we're so proud in what we say. And then in that, the verse that says, professing ourselves to be wise, we reveal that we're nothing but fools, and we rejoice in our folly. You know what what the resurrection of Jesus is? I mean, we have this cliche, and we'll finish with this. 
we, we talk about they're, uh, they're dangling a carrot stick in front of people. We, I used to talk about that all the time at the finance company I worked at. I would tell the owner, listen, man, I understand if you want to get more productivity out of these people. But if you want to get more productivity, what's the carrot stick? What are you going to dangle in front of their face to draw them to where you want them? Well, that's, the resurrection is God's carrot stick. I even got a little cartoon carrot there in my notes. God dangling the carrot stick. It's his lie. This is what I have, guys. There's no trickery. There's no deceit. There's no guile in me. It's plain as day. This is what I got. This is what I've always had. And I've never not had this. I've never had anything other than this. Hebrews 11.6 says this, But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You see what he said there? He says, God can only be happy if you come to Him. The reason why He can only be happy if you come to Him is he wants you to live and he doesn't want you to die. Listen, you ain't coming to him unless you think he's a rewarder of those who come to him. And guess what? You ain't going to think he's a rewarder of those who come to him unless you're beholding the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ. Right? Says the whole thing. Thank you, Father, that uh, everything you do is to reveal yourself to us that lord you sent jesus jesus said he didn't come to speak of himself but he came to reveal you that you send jesus to reveal you i thank you father that you didn't say that's enough now they've seen me let's move on i thank you father that the only thing there is is to see you that every good thing that flows everything that has life comes from seeing you i thank you lord that you also poured out your holy spirit and that your holy spirit is with us daily working in our hearts, interceding in our hearts to reveal you. I just thank you, Father, that this message can work in accordance with the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the desire in your heart to just reveal you as the one who has life in himself, as the one who desires to give life. I just thank you, Father, that people could see the only thing you've ever had in your hand to give us is the life that manifested in the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that fear be far removed from people. Thank you that people's hearts be purified from fear. Thank you, Lord, that people will no longer behold the corruption and the death that's in this world and think that they're clothed in that death and that corruption. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that we've been washed by the word of your life, that we've been washed by the word of a life that isn't at the mercy of death. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You are almighty God. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you guys so much. Happy Easter. I did all right. I think like 90%.